welcome back to D-Pod. Today we have another BTS episode behind the staff. And we have Brandon Chen in the studio. Hello, Brandon. Hello, hello. Hello. Uh, Brandon leads our uh, UChicago International Ministry, uh, the International Student Fellowship. He's one of the religious advisors on campus, uh, just like me. And so, yeah, and then him, him and his wife, Cindy, and then their daughter, Nao, live a couple doors down from us. And so we see each other all the time. Yeah. So, but um, he's been avoiding me as, <laughs> as a lot of people not coming to the studio. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, the invite finally went out to you, Brandon. How do you feel? Um, I feel, I don't know, a little <laughs> bit excited, a little bit excited. A little bit excited. Okay, yeah. well, hopefully we get more excited as we talk. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, like the BTS episodes, it's been about just kind of getting getting to know um, the stories behind uh, our staff. So I um, wanted to explore mainly your faith journey and then the different steps of faith that you've taken uh, just uh, through your years of following Jesus. So um, can we just start with a little bit of just like basic background, like tell us about your family of origin, like where you grew up, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, so I grew up in Southern California in um, Orange County. I actually went to the same high school as DP. Yes. Yes. Troy, Troy high, school. high School. The best high school that we would never send our own kids to. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, yeah. So I grew up um, mostly agnostic slash atheist. Uh, my parents are completely not religious. Um, and for me, I grew up as an agnostic. And then middle school and high school, I actually started considering the question of whether there was a God or not. And um, my conclusion was that there wasn't a God uh, due to various reasons. And so coming into college, I considered myself an atheist. Hmm. So so was there something that s caused you to start thinking about those questions for yourself? I mean, you had no background in it, but you started just thinking about it on your own or? It was a couple of things. Some things were like I met people who were Christian um, during my middle school and high school days. And um, kind of through interacting with them, I, I had some questions here and there. Um, but uh, part of it was I, I just kind of looked at the way that they were living their lives and it seemed like, they weren't living any differently from the way I was living my life. So I kind of thought, oh, well, this whole Christianity thing is just something that they put on or they leaned on um, as a way to get through life. And then actually in high school, I started considering more about the whole question of like, oh, okay, well, there's a lot of pain and suffering in this world. And if that's the case, um, there, there can't be a God. Mm. Right? If there's so much pain, suffering, how can there be a God? And that's what kind of pushed me over to say, oh, I don't think there is a God. Hmm. Did you, um, do you remember taking IB, you took IB philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. And then I remember those, uh, there's that with, debate, right? Yeah. The whole debate about existence of God that we do yes. in that class. Yes. What, was, what was your impression of that? I'm just curious. It's just, I mean, since we went to the same high school, just might as well talk about this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It was with Mr. Dickey, right? Yeah. I, t I had Mr. Dickey too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually thought that was intriguing because um, I thought, uh, like our teacher, Mr. Dickey, he actually went to Berkeley also. He had a PhD mm -hmm. yeah. um, from Berkeley. And I thought he actually was pretty fair. He would play devil's advocate um, to both sides. And I, well, I was clearly on the atheist side and kind of arguing for the that there was no God out there. Mm -hmm. um, but I do remember a couple um, arguments that, he presented or that I guess the deist side presented um, that were actually similar to the Kalam cosmological mm -hmm. argument. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then that was actually the first time that I was thinking, hey, actually that 
kind of makes some sense. Like there might be some reason um, to support God. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like I was already kind of set on my view of, oh, but I don't think there's a God. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting because like for me, like because, you know, I grew up going to church and I, as I've shared before, like I, I still had a lot of doubts and I remember doing those debates and feeling like like I, I think I was on the theist side and, you know, because I, I think he made he didn't let us choose. I think he just assigned us at least my year. Oh. He just assigned us a side and we had to own the argument and, and debate it. But I, I remember like giving the arguments for th- for theism for God and myself being not that convinced by it. Oh. but I, th- I think i think that just sh- went to show me that sometimes people are just not ready mm-hmm. like sometimes it's not about the intellect because i heard those exact same arguments a year later and then i, I was just like floored by it right mm-hmm. and so i think there's something about where my heart was at in high school where like you know like the intellect wasn't wasn't getting to my heart or something yeah so anyways just, yeah just curious what your experience of that was so i think that kind of makes sense because it I mean, some of them were similar arguments that I heard later on, and I guess when it all adds up with all the other like reasons that I heard, I think it does kind of present a more convincing argument. But mm-hmm. Maybe my heart wasn't ready for it at the moment as well. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and I think, and I think um, Mr. Dickey was um, is Christian, from my understanding. He didn't quite say it, okay. but I, I had guesses that he was. Yeah, that was yeah. my impression. Yeah, so. Uh, in in some ways, I appreciate uh, you know what he's doing in that class to try to get people to thoughtfully think about that. Mm-hmm. That, that so, but sadly, he has retired since then. So, yeah. Um, um, yeah so, um, so when you came into college, okay, so you know you went to Troy and then uh, you came to Berkeley for college. Um, so how did how did you start coming to church? So you identified as an atheist, but um, I'm assuming you were not looking for a church. I was not. Okay, no. yeah, coming into college. So, but then you started coming out pretty early on, right? Mm-hmm. So how did that happen? Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of funny story. So um, I moved into Berkeley uh, and my roommate was Daniel. If you guys know Daniel, Daniel is, um, he's serving at our Santa Clara church right now, but we were friends back in high school um, and we decided to room together at Berkeley. And so we moved in and this was actually move-in day where we like, we had moved all our stuff. We were kind of in our dorm rooms. Our parents had just left. Um, and we were just kind of wondering, what are we going to do now? <laughs> and then all of a sudden we hear a knock on our door. And then this guy, kind of older looking guy, just <laughs> invites himself into our room. Um, he just walks in. He just kind of like, well, not like completely walks in, oh, but yeah. kind of pushes the door open. Um, well, okay, so this is our recollection. He claims that it might have been a little different, so I don't know. We'll find out in heaven. But <laughs> yeah, so so essentially, it's Wilson. If you guys know Wilson Fong, um, Wilson is uh, currently serving at our Berkeley Kaleo group, and so is him, Brian Wing, and Joe Song, um, who met someone on our dorm floor. Um, through like what we called Cal Connect back then. Um, and they just want to meet the other freshmen on the floor as well. And so they were just going around meeting the freshmen. And so I just remember Wilson kind of inviting himself into our room and saying, oh, hi, what are you guys doing here? Um, <laughs> going to college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, 
It's just, well, I mean, they introduced themselves. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, there's this whole little thing that Wilson doesn't remember. But what we remembered was Wilson saying, oh, yeah, we're freshmen, too. <laughs> and we're like, uh, really? <laughs> and then, um, and, but then Joe Song kind of shot him down. I was like, oh, you can't, can't believe this guy, right? <laughs> um, so we're, we were kind of like, okay, this is kind of weird. But yeah, so they actually, um, they, they were just meeting people and then they invited us out to um, Newstone Welcome Night. And Daniel was actually looking for a church because um, he uh, has a Christian background. And so he... Um, was interested in checking out and I kind of just tagged along because I was like, well, there's free Korean barbecue. Why not? Mm. And so I came for the free Korean barbecue, but I actually, I still remember um, going to that Newstone Welcome Night and listening to the message uh, from Pastor Ed. Um, and I mean, parts of it were kind of like weird. Like I remember being kind of weirded out by the praise. It's like, oh, mm. this is <laughs> kind of weird. And they yeah. had this video um, that was supposedly on, like, based off of Jason Bourne, but I'd never watched the Bourne series. Oh. I was like, oh, this is <laughs> random. random. <laughs> um, but then I remember Pastor Red coming and talking, and um, there are a couple points I still remember from mm. his talk where he mentioned, um, like, yeah, are we just a bag of chemicals? Um, when you say that you love your mom, is it just chemical reactions firing off, neurons firing off in your brain, or... Is there something more to the body? Is there something more to the flesh? Mm. And I thought that was interesting. Um, my initial gut reaction was, yeah, we, we are just a bag of chemicals. But then um, it, it kind of made me think a little more. And then at the very end, he kind of issued this challenge of um, saying, like, you're, you're going to spend four years in college. You're going to read a lot of books um, for, you know, people who are good students, I guess, would read a lot of books. <laughs> but... It's like, why not spend one semester studying this one book, which is arguably one of the most influential, if not the most influential book of Western civilization, which mm. is the Bible. And um, by the end of it, if you don't like, if you don't like it, at least you're more cultured, right? At least you got to try it and experience it. If you um, do like it, like keep exploring, keep, keep learning it. Um, so that was something that was intriguing to me because I never actually... Um, really read the Bible, I kind of knew of different bits and pieces of what might be in there, but I just thought, well, why not give it a shot? These people are nice. Mm. There's free food. Um, and then Daniel was checking it out also. So I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just tag along and see. Mm. So was that, yeah, because for me, like to imagine someone who comes from a completely unchurched background, uh, you know, self-proclaiming atheist to start attending like religious events, Christian events regularly, like that seems a like a really high barrier for me. Like, it's, and I think especially nowadays it is. But like, um, so was it was it particularly that that talk that you heard from Pastor Ed that kind of convinced you, or or like how how much of it was that versus like kind of these other factors that you mentioned, like like the community that you saw, like Daniel being there with you. Like, do you, do you think you would have gone if Daniel wasn't there? Like, I'm just kind of curious, like what fact as you look back on it like what helped you to kind of start doing that no i do think it is a combination of all of it um i do think first it was that intellectual curiosity of saying yeah i never really explored this um so i am kind of open to checking it out but i 
do think the community and Daniel going also played a part. Like, if Daniel wasn't going to that, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I would have kept going out on my own、mm. um, because there's something about like, it's a little bit like a partner effect. It's like, oh, he's going out. Well, I don't want to just be stuck alone、mm. in my dorm room. I might as well just go with him.、Um, and I think seeing the relationships. Uh, in the beginning, it was just like, oh, these people are really nice. But then as I got to go out more and see them interact with each other more, I think that drew me in.、Mm. Also, just seeing the way that the mentors were relating with each other. And、um, it, it really presented a picture of life that I never experienced before、mm. um, with like, even my own nuclear family or like, growing up. And I think that made me more kind of interested and intrigued to see, be like, oh, Like, what makes this community click? Like,、hmm. why, why are they doing this? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I'm curious, like, was there anything as you were, because when, when did you make a decision to actually become Christian? When, when did that happen? It was my sophomore year. Sophomore year. Okay. So you've been going out for over a year.、Mm-hmm. Like, during that time, what was, was there anything that was like hard? So, like, you know, there's like the, the benefits or kind of the positives that you're describing, but like, as a non Christian attending, You know, regularly to these Christian events, like what was hard about that or what was like difficult as a just curious if you have a perspective on that? I think,、um, I think part of it is feeling like I don't entirely belong because、hmm. um, there are things where I would be sitting there listening to like the different Bible messages and I would be like, I don't know if I agree with this,、um, mm. or I don't know if I fully like, resonate with this, but then everyone else around me seems to be、um, agreeing with it. And well, no, I mean, not everyone, but like, there are people who are also seeking around me. So I think that helped as well.、Mm. Um, but I think there are moments where I would be、um, like, I, just, I, I think back to when I was taking course one one. Um, it was me and one of my other friends, Alwyn, and we were taking course one one. And I remember talking with him afterwards and being like, Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of points here, but I don't know if I see myself becoming Christian, actually.、Mm. I remember talking with him about that, and he was kind of resonating with that.、Mm. And I think that was something that made me feel like, Gosh, am I going to keep going down this? Yeah.、Um, Yeah, so this was kind of going on towards like the end of freshman year, actually. Okay. Yeah, so it's kind of this like, okay, I don't, I don't agree with this. I resonate with some of it, but then like, how long am I going to keep investing in this?、Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I just don't agree with this and maybe I'll never become a Christian.、Mm-hmm. When do I stop going? Right? Yeah, so man, I feel the tension there, you know? So, like, so then what? Okay, so then maybe what kept you, so then what kept you coming then? Right, because you could have just called it quits, right?、Mm-hmm. But I guess you kept coming. And then, and then what kind of brought you over to actually deciding to follow Jesus? Can you kind of t- t- take us through that? Yeah.、Um, I think it was, I mean, I don't know if I can say it's just one thing.、Mm. I think it was a lot of, I mean, honestly, I think it was a lot of love and care from Wilson.、Mm. Um, just continuing to have conversations. Uh, with me, because we had finished course one one. There was a point where I still remember thinking, well, there is actually a lot of reasons to believe in this, but I'm not like 100% convinced on it. 
Um, and so I felt a little stuck at where I was at. And I remember Wilson just meeting up with me and just talking through what are the different um, like uh, objections that I still have or what are the different barriers um, that are keeping me from uh, believing. And I think I like I appreciated those talks. I think part of it was just him hearing me out. Um, and then I still remember like some of the objections that I would bring up. He, he would be pretty honest and he would say like, you know, that one, I'm not 100% sure, but mm-hmm. let me get back to you on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then he would come back with some thoughts and like a future on time. And I think that was something that kind of made me just open to continue um, exploring and learning. Um, yeah, so it was that. And then there, there are a couple other things that happened. So um, William Lane Craig came to visit, if you remember. Oh. Um, that was the end of my freshman year. And then he gave a presentation about uh, resurrection. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Was that, where was that? Was that at Willard? W- oh, right? was that Willard? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that yeah. That was at Willard. And I remember sitting there and thinking, man, I mean, it, not the, I mean, it, it makes sense, <laughs> you know, the way he. Oh, I remember it was for Inner High. It was he, for Inner High. Yeah, he yes. had come for Inner High because I was part of that um, kickoff event. And then, mm-hmm. and then I think he came on Sunday as well or something like that. Yeah. Or gave us some sort of talk. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah I remember that now. Okay. Yeah, that was the Inner High kickoff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember just feeling like, well, I don't know if, you know, a dead man can come back to life, but there's a lot of reasons, you know, mm. um, there's a lot of evidence to kind of agree with this. And that was one thing that kind of made me start leaning more towards um, actually saying, hey, maybe, maybe there is some merit to this. Um, but it, it kind of got to a point where I was just sitting on the fence. I feel like I, I was just sitting on the fence and I was like, am I like I have enough reasons to be like reasonably convinced mm-hmm. that this is true. Um, I don't have answers to everything. I don't think I'll ever get answers to everything, but I would say I would probably be more than 50% convinced that this seems reasonably true. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I just was scared to commit. Um, and a big part of that was just a lot of fears with like how my parents would react, how my sister would react. Uh, coming from like a atheist agnostic background um and so i was um yeah i guess i I was on the fence for a while for that and then something that wilson actually suggested for me was to just kind of think through it and like write out a letter of like what like what are the reasons why you believe and why do you believe in it um and so something that I did was I actually drafted up this email where I wrote up, hey, these are like the reasons why I am considering believing in Christianity. Mm. Um, and I wrote out like the different arguments to which kind of like intellectually, I feel like they were convincing to me. Um, and I actually sent that to my parents and my oh, sister. Wow. And huh. I, I think that process actually helped a lot because they were, they were just kind of, before that, they were just thoughts in my mind. Mm. 
but writing it out into an email form and like listing it out, I think it made it a little more concrete yeah. to say, hmm. hey, I actually, there's this reason, there's reason A, reason B, reason C to why I believe in this. Um, and I think that actually, that step actually helped me a lot to say, you know, as I was writing it, I'm like, yeah, I actually do believe in this or I actually mm. do lean towards this. Wow. So how, how did your parents and your sister react to that email? Because <laughs> um, I guess this was before you actually made it. Yeah, this was before. Yeah, yeah. This was the summer before, um, summer after my freshman year. My parents were kind of like, well, it's we don't fully agree, but it's your life. Mm. Um, so you can kind of decide how you want to live it. Um, my sister, it's kind of funny. She actually responded by sending me a website, an atheist website. <laughs> and <laughs> nice. he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hey, why don't you kind of look through these arguments as well? Yeah. <laughs> and I, actually, I, I remember looking through the different arguments in the atheist website and feeling like, man, I actually feel like Christianity has a better oh, argument huh. than some of these. Yeah. Because um, I've heard like some of the, like I would be able to rebut some of the. Right. You kind of know the counterpoints. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah that's interesting. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that specific uh, thing that you did. Yeah. Yeah. So then from there, what happened like uh, to making it, I guess, to yeah. the point of making an actual decision? Um, so uh, something else that, so I was still kind of on the fence because a lot of it was just that fear of like, oh man, do I really want to like give up my life and surrender mm -hmm. my life at that point? Um, and then something that ended up happening was, um, well, my grandma who was in Taiwan, um, she ended up passing away mm. and it was a little sudden cause we were planning on visiting her in the winter of that year. Uh -huh. And, um, like I, I kind of knew that she was getting old and I wasn't a hundred percent sure where her health was, but uh, I didn't think that she would like pass away this quickly. Mm, yeah. Um, but then everything, like the health just got worse and she passed away. And I think I remember just thinking man, death is really real. Um, like life is fragile, life is short. And if this is true, then what am I gonna base my life on? Hmm. And that was a big like wake up call uh, for me to be like, yeah, I, I really should consider, like if I really believe this to be true, then I should do something about it. You right. know? Mm. Um, so that it was that. And then the other thing that happened was um, there was actually a baptism testimony. Um, so, I mean, this, this was happening is, uh, just, just to kind of get the timing um, in order. It was like the, my grandma passing away, that was near the end of summer mm -hmm. or the start of fall. And then in like October, November, it was November, um, there was a baptism testimony where he was sharing how his mentor, uh, Roy Lowe actually, uh, was sharing with him about when he was feeling stuck. Um, he, Roy would say like, oh, there's a short window of opportunity. And the example that Roy gave was like, it's kind of like an email where you have a chance to, um, when, you, when you receive an email, but you kind of don't respond to it, at a certain point, it gets a little awkward to respond <laughs> yeah. or you just forget about it and it just gets buried. Yeah. Um, and 
it's a silly example, but somehow that hit me. I don't know, maybe because I was kind of like that back then where I wouldn't <laughs> respond to emails. Well, now you're very fast on email, so. <laughs> I know, I learned, I learned. Um, but yeah, it, it, something about that just hit me. I was like, yeah, if this is true, I've been sitting on a fence for this long, and a lot of it was just me being afraid uh, of what, like, becoming a Christian would mean. Um, but no, I believe this to be reasonably true. Um, and if that's the case, then this whole time, like I've been running away from God and mm. I've been really rebelling against God and I need to surrender my life. Mm. And so that was um, like two days later, we had Tuesday prayer meetings back then. I remember um, asking Wilson if we could meet up and just sharing that um, and choosing, saying, hey, yeah, I do want to surrender my life to Jesus. Mm. So, wow. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, as I was listening, you know, it kind of just reminded me of this like common pattern we see, I think, um, which is that a lot of times when people come in kind of with some intellectual questions, right? Like I think, uh, you know, you mentioned like problem of evil, you know, that's sort of something that took you over the edge when you were early, like younger, but then, you know, people come in with these intellectual questions and they start asking it and they keep asking questions and getting it answered. And then, and then I think people realize actually it's not an intellectual issue anymore. It's now like an emotional issue as well as a volitional issue. It's like my intellect has been sufficiently satisfied. Of course, there's like you know, never ending questions we could ask, but yeah, like you said, it's more than 50, 50% or greater mm -hmm. chance that this is actually true. Yeah. And then for you, it became a matter of your will, like, Am I actually going to do this or not? Right. And uh, yeah, that email example sounds like it kind of just showed you a picture of like the, the situation you were in and the need to just act on it, to act on what you already knew to be true. So yeah, that's really neat. Um, so, so sophomore year, you make that decision to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so kind of just to kind of summarize the rest of college, like what would you say was kind of a, from a faith perspective, so like spiritually, what was like, um, what was like a low point? for you and then what was a high point? Cause I think that's maybe a good way to summarize college. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll start with the high point actually. Mm -hmm. I think the high point for me was, um, kind of as I was going through college, I, I think God gave me a lot of different, um, kind of like stepping stones of faith. And as I took each step, that gave me greater confidence to take the next step. And so one of those was um, going on mission trip to Cambodia. That was my junior year. And I remember thinking, man, um, this is a lot of money. Am I really gonna do this? <laughs> yeah. um, my parents did not approve mm -hmm. um, clearly. And yet I remember going on that trip and it just, I just really, I don't know. I, I, it just really hit me because we were out there. It was hot and sweaty. Um, I mean, for people who've been there, you know, you kind of know the humidity and uh, the bugs and all that. Um, and I remember feeling um, we were doing all these like Joyland dances for the kids. We were staying up late to prepare for like English class or chapel, um, not getting a lot of sleep. It was hot also. So it was kind of hard to get good sleep, um, waking up early for devotions. And yet, even as I was feeling so tired, 
I just felt this sense of like, wow, I never felt so joyful mm. in my life. And there's this sense of like, man, I really want to do this for the rest of my life um, and just live like fully surrendered to God. I, I, I remember thinking, man, it's so nice. One, not having homework to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> just one yeah. thing, just one focus, <laughs> just, right? Just uh, living on mission. Yeah, just yeah. didn't have to worry about all those things, just out there sh trying to love these students and share the gospel with mm. them. Um, so that was like a high point, uh, definitely. And then I think coming back from that, part of me was like, oh, I want to kind of keep that up and um, live on mission. And so that led to me saying, oh, I want to live in the dorms um, my senior year. And so senior year, I committed to living in the dorms um, with some of my friends. And that was actually a lot harder than I thought. Hmm. Um, and in some ways, that was almost like the low point. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, because, I mean, we want to like be on mission and we got to meet different uh, freshmen and students through that. Um, but it was just physically, emotionally, it was really challenging. Um, I ended up just, I don't know, I just got sick a lot that mm. year. Um, and I think it was just a struggle to keep up, like trying to minister to the students and trying to, um, I guess, keep up with different uh, responsibilities that we had as well. Mm. And I think that made me feel like a, a little bit of this sense of, man, God, I wanted this to be like a mission trip feel. And it, it is kind of a mission trip feel, um, at least initially, but then <laughs> it's just emotionally, it was really draining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that led to a little bit of like a low point mm. um, going through that experience. So, yeah. Yeah. And how, how did, how did God use that then to like, what, what did you learn from that? Or kind of, as you look back on it, because I can totally imagine that being really difficult and, and thus like being a low point. And then how, so how did God redeem that or sort of teach you through that period? Yeah, I think God really taught me to one, depend on him. Um, one thing that we did, uh, just our life group that we did that year was memorize different hymns. Um, so I remember just memorizing and singing like before the throne of God above and day by day and just really um, just coming back to that again and again, like day by day, day by day, mm. um, really needing to come before God and lean on God. And that was something that I think it, it just really um, in some ways built a bit of a foundation for like, I mean, this is me looking back, but I look at that time and I think it really did build a bit of like perseverance, grit, um, just needing to depend on God in difficult situations that made it a little easier uh, for future years when I went through difficult times as well. Um, so yeah, it, w it was really teaching me to just lean on God and memorize hymns, memorize different verses and cling on to those during uh, challenging times. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I think not, you're like, uh, um, yeah, other people have mentioned the, the those exact same things, like the mission trip, as well as like, you know, Stefan talked about, for example, how he lived in the dorms with his friends and 
And for him, that was like a, a really high point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I, I was just thinking about how like sometimes just no matter what you go through, like, you know, like whether it's a high point or a low point, like I think what God's trying to teach us through that time is what you're saying, like to cause us to depend on him. And it, it made me think about um, Philippians 4 where, you know, Paul is talking about how he rejoices. Um, mm -hmm. And and this is what he says. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. So whether, you know, you're low or you're abounding in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through whom, through him who strengthens me. And, you know, that verse mm -hmm. is a verse that, you know, athletes love to quote, but right in the context, it's, it's about um, being able to um, abound in joy and, um, and love for God in every single situation. Right. And um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's really neat that what, both are like examples of you trying to live on mission. Your experience of it in the moment was really different, but I think through both of it, God's, God was shaping you mm. right into the person that you would become. So um, I guess to the people who are going through low periods in their life, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's not a, we don't have to um, be so like, I don't know, devastated by that, right? We can count that a joy as well because God's going to bring maturity uh, into our lives through it. So, so now um, kind of coming out of college. Um, so I think you've been on a lot of church plants actually, or you've moved around quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. So could you just briefly take us through the different places you were after graduation? Okay. Um, yeah. So after graduating, I stayed in Berkeley uh, for a year, just serving on the college ministry there. Um, and then I ended up volunteering and moving down to LA um, to join our church plant down there. And I was serving our LA team for three years. And, and that's when we first planted? That right? was or, the second year. Okay, you joined in the second year. In the, the second year, but it was when USC started. Oh, okay, got it. Got and it. so I was part of that initial USC team. Got it, okay. Um, yeah, so I was in LA for three years. And then uh, I moved to Irvine. I was in Irvine for a year. Um, and then there was this whole special overseas missions mm -hmm. team um, that I got to be part of mm -hmm. for about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went back to Berkeley. I was there for like a year and a half as well. Um, that was kind of during like the COVID time. Um, and then ended up moving up here, moving out here to Chicago. Nice. All right. So a lot of different places. Um, now, um, I'm just wondering if, I don't know if this is how you even think about your life, but um, like if, if each of those church plants that you were at was like a stage of your life, um, like what was God doing in your life? What was he showing you? How was he working through those different phases? Maybe that, that could be a way to summarize uh, those times. Maybe just the, at least the first few ones out of college. Okay. Um, I don't know. I just feel like God was growing and purifying me. <laughs> That's always the right answer. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think LA um, was definitely like growing in terms of uh, just conviction because uh, it, it was challenging. It was a pretty challenging ministry. Um, we lived in West LA and then we would drive out to USC. And I mean, you, if you know LA traffic, 
it's miserable. <laughs> it, yeah, because distance-wise, that's not that far. It's not. But so, it'll take like over an hour, right? Uh, well, on average, it would probably be like 50. 50 minutes. And it's okay. on bad days, it would be like over an hour. But um, it's only like how many miles? Like like six, six or seven. <laughs> so like the fresh, I, I think the frustrating <laughs> thing is I remember like just measuring this and being kind of frustrated over it. But <laughs> like on a Saturday morning with no traffic, it takes 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it just takes 15 minutes to get from where I live to. USC. Um, USC. But then on average, it would take like 45, 50 minutes. Dang. Just to, just to make it out there. Just to, just make to get it out started. There. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it was, it was a purifying moment of like when you're sitting in that traffic and it's just stop and go. It's like, do I really want to do this? <laughs> yeah. Know? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Sh- yeah. <laughs> Suddenly there's like all these costs, like just everyday costs, right? So. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that period was a period of really growing and uh, just conviction and growing in perseverance. Um, and maybe something about that dorm experience, living in the dorms, helped prepare me for that. Because mm. otherwise I think it would have been uh, just a lot harder. So, But honestly, I, I really enjoyed my time in L.A. Um, I mean, I, I look back now and some, some of those are my fondest memories mm. of uh, just being on mission together. And there's just something about, I don't know, something about LA where it, it seems like the world is really against you mm. um, because there's all this traffic, there's all these like, I don't know, like billboards and- Just a bombardment um, just of, of culture, yeah. you know, just, yeah, like LA, if you've never been to LA, I mean, it's just, I mean, it is where Hollywood is, it's near there and yeah. it's like, I don't yeah, there's, it is way more billboards and just, advertisements and everything all around you somehow. Yeah, yeah, I feel that when I'm there. So something about like, oh man, we are in this spiritual war together. Like something about that really kind of bonds you mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I look back and it's like, that. I still remember, I some like even some of the mentors here in Chicago, like Huna or Toph or um, up in Angu, it's like Jasmine or Fred. Like, I remember meeting them when mm-hmm. they were freshmen. And yeah, that's cool. It's really neat. Um, seeing them out here in Chicago serving now. I think that's something I'm really thankful for. Um, yeah, so that's LA. Uh, Irvine, I think, was another purifying time, um, but of a different sort. Um, because if you know Irvine, it's not so much like there's this bombardment of culture and all of that, the world, but it's just comfort. It's very comfortable. <laughs> yes. Very suburban. If you guys don't know, it's it's considered the most planned out city in like Something one of the most like planned that. out cities in the U.S. Because the entire city is yeah. owned by a private company called the Irvine Company. So. Mm-hmm. There's like three Costco's and like five Targets. In the same city. In the same city <laughs> yeah. or within like, you know, yeah, driving distance. Driving distance, yeah. I mean, probably more now. I don't know. This was a few years back. Yeah. Um, and like 20 palm trees on every <laughs> intersection. <laughs> No, it's absurd. <laughs> I remember in LA when we would do Costco shopping, it would take like, because of the traffic, it would take like 50 minutes to get to Costco oh, and back. And so that was kind of like an ordeal of itself, unless you go during off hours when there's no traffic. Um, and then I come to Irvine and I'm like, wow, I have three Costco's to choose from. <laughs> and they're all like within this distance. <laughs> it's like, this is too much. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm sure the pace of life slowed down like crazy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe that's part of the comfort equation, but yeah. Yeah, so it, it is a bit of like, man, this is really comfortable. People here are comfortable. And that was another kind of struggle that I had to go through. Because, uh, I mean, growing up, that, that wasn't idle for me to live. Um, not necessarily like super wealthy, like the field that you get in LA, but just to live like pretty well off and uh, just to live a comfortable life. And I think that really was the draw of Irvine, mm. where you see people just, you know, driving decent cars and going about their days, um, living in a very convenient location with a lot of like good food and stores all around you. And I think that was the draw that I had to really fight against mm. in Irvine. So. Yeah, and I guess the just to make that a little more explicit, because it's not like those things are bad in them in a, of themselves, but it sort of kind of starts to replace kind of our devotion towards the Lord, mm-hmm. towards the mission, and kind of wanting wanting those comforts maybe above all else. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 when God's call in our lives takes us away from those comforts, then we start to feel like. Hmm, I don't know if I want this anymore. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming that that's kind of the struggle that you're describing. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then, um, well, and then I know that after that was the transition to this, uh, the time in your life when you're on, on mission, living yeah, yeah, on mission. So um, like not living on mission figuratively, but like actually, I guess going overseas, somewhere, yeah. yeah, overseas mission. So maybe we can kind of transition to that topic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, without saying the actual kind of where you went, right? So you were, you were overseas for about a year and a half, like you were saying, um, as a part of kind of a, a smaller group that went out to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, how how did that like plan out for you? Oh, oh by the way, wait, wait, where in this did you get married? Oh, um, uh, when I was in Irvine. Oh, you were in Irvine. Okay. Yeah. So I got engaged when I was in LA and that, and then I ended up moving to Irvine. Okay. Got it. Got it. And then, so then you and Cindy were married in Irvine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so then from there you went uh, to the missions together. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can take us through, um, like how, how did you, or like, why did you want to, um, kind of be involved in that project? Yeah. I think this was something that, um, I don't know. I, I feel like God's been working in my heart uh, in this way. And there, there are a couple things that led to that. Um, so I think one thing that started off was um, when I was at USC, I remember meeting a lot of international students um, and just talking with them, interacting with them. I, I just felt for them because uh, a lot of them, they were pretty lost spiritually and they um, didn't really have as much like exposure to the gospel um, but then they were pretty ambitious and set on just making it in the world and there, something about that just kind of hit me um, during my time there and then um, when we were in Irvine there's this all team retreat that we went to and during that team retreat, um, there, there are different themes that were going on. One was um, a theme of like all these missionaries uh, that we talked about mm. um, and that hit me. Uh, and then we also had these TED Talks uh, where different mentors could present a topic that they were pretty passionate about. And there was this one TED Talk that I remember distinctly uh, of 
someone who um, was part of our Minnesota church, um, Acta and Maggie, who gave a TED talk about planting a GP church overseas. Mm. Um, and I just remember listening to that and feeling convicted because, you know, here's someone who's um, like, you know, like white Caucasian American mm. saying, really saying, oh, we should go out there and plant um, a church. And yeah, like, like it's not like her, it's her home country or something like that. Yeah, it's not right. her home country. She yeah. doesn't even speak the language. Um, and something about that really hit me. It's like, yeah, we we should do something like that. Yeah, it's like, why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then actually after that retreat, um, our peers, we had a peer trip out to Yosemite House. And part of that peer trip, we, was, uh, we had this campfire time where we just got to share um, different burdens and then also different, uh, it, it was along the theme of like, what's one thing that would make you um, passionate for the gospel? Like what's something where if like this happened or if you did this, this would really rekindle that passion for the gospel. And I remember kind of just thinking about it and staring into the campfire and just somehow, I just felt like there, maybe, I don't know, maybe God was like pointing it out to me or like just bring this to me. But it, it was this sense of, yeah, I think something to do with international students. Mm. Um, like something about international work or international students, I think that would be something I would actually be really interested in and that would kind of kindle more passion mm. for the gospel. And that was something that I got to share with my peers. Um, and then, I don't know, like God has a sense of humor because like just coming back within two weeks, uh, Pastor Eddie sent out this email mm. asking, well, there, there are a series of emails going out about like, oh, if you had interest in a church plant, um, what, what would be your plan and where would you go? And that was kind of how the whole Chicago actually started. Mm -hmm. This was yeah, 2018. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and was that the time when it was supposed to be about domestic church plants, mm -hmm. and, but then all these people started emailing Pastor Ed mm -hmm. saying like, we need to go to like this country and, mm -hmm. And it's like not in the, it's not a domestic church plant. Yeah. And then, but then it was well, like, we felt like that was a Holy Spirit moving. Cause like all these individual people independently started talking about it and suggesting it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then I guess as a result of that, maybe yeah. there was like a sign up or something that went out. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Pastor Ed kind of talked about like, yeah, there's been all this interest. Uh, there's kind of, and there's been a lot of this interest to go to this area. Um, even though he said in his original form, it has to be somewhere you can drive to. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. They didn't read the form. Good thing they didn't read the form. <laughs> yes. So he sent out this form. Um, and I remember reading it. It's like, I got to sign up. We got to sign up. Mm. And so I talked with Cindy and she was pretty open and down for it as well. And so we signed up um, and we weren't quite sure what would happen. Um, but then I remember like nothing really happened. And we're like, okay, let's just mm. continue on. And then a month later, uh, our leaders, Ray and Xiang actually were our leaders back then at Irvine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they pulled us aside and they were like, hey, you signed up for this. Would you really want to commit to this? And we're like, 
oh, it's real. <laughs> it's oh, happening. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, so yeah. we're like, yes, yes, yeah. we would. Um, and this was like in February. And then we met together as a team once because it was pulled from people from all over. Mm -hmm. All over um, kind of the network nationwide, right? Yeah. yeah. And so we met together as a team once in April. And then in June, we were on the plane. Wow. So that's 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 wild. You know, a anyone from the outside looking at that would be like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here you here you go. Like and you're going to go now internationally and and try to start something up. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I man, when I was hearing you kind of talk about it, it just it just reminded me that, you know, because, you know, you kind of described how you had that peer time. And then like soon after that, you get this kind of sign up opportunity. And if that's not like God kind of inviting us into something, I don't know what is, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that's like, and, and, and sometimes I think people want like God to speak to them in this like audible way or something. But like, I think God speaks through situations, through people in our lives. And like there, there, there I just see like clearly like God's hand on your life mm -hmm. where he, he, this is the next step he wanted you to take. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm so thankful that um, you and Cindy decided to do that. So, um, so then could you just maybe just tell us some stories about what it was like uh, just being on on this international mission team um, for a year and a half? I mean, you guys would have been there longer. I mean, you might still have been there if it weren't for the whole COVID situation. But um, what was it like? What are some kind of memorable stories? Just just tell us a couple that sort of gives us a picture of how different life is out there. I mean, mm -hmm. compared to like what we're used to here, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, life was very different. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, I think the first thing that just hits you is the sheer number of people mm. out there. Um, it, it's like you take um, Chicago and you multiply it by, I don't know, like 10. Oh. <laughs> it, it, it almost feels like that. Um, In a much smaller area too, right? Yeah, it, it's just a lot more concentrated, a lot more dense. Um, so like even in the apartment complex that we're living in, uh, I remember kind of estimating, oh, how many people do I think live in this complex? And I think it was something like 12,000 people. 12,000 people in so, the one building. Well, no, no, no. It's a series of oh, like series 10 of buildings. buildings. Oh, wow. Okay. But they were all clustered like next to each other. That's wild though. That's like, that's like twice the size of the underground population in <laughs> Chicago. So. so yeah, it's just... There's just people everywhere you go. <laughs> it's a little bit of that. There's no like space privacy, you know, you go somewhere, you're just next to people and that's just how things are. Um, but I, I think, well, I mean, one thing that we were doing was we were reaching out to um, like university students and it's, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, doing college outreach as well here, but there's just a sheer number of students there as well like where we lived um we lived close to this one area that um they just had a lot of universities kind of clumped together um uh, there were like 10 universities uh, within just one spot that were all in, like literally next to each other mm. and each university well some of them were smaller but some of them had like you know forty thousand people thirty thousand students and it's like maybe around like 150,000 students wow. just all within this one area that 
you just go there and there's just all these students biking mm. everywhere or walking around. Um, and I think something about that just made me, I don't know, it, it just hit me. Like, cause as you talk to a lot of these students, as you talk to people, um, you realize that for, I mean, there are a few who might've heard a bit about Christianity, um, but the vast majority, they would see Christianity as, oh, this is just like a Western construct. Um, they had no conception of the gospel. Um, they didn't really even know Jesus other than just his name. Mm. And that, that just really burdened me. Yeah. Um, yeah, just talking with all these students and all these people out there, um, especially when you see so many of them just all around you. And I think that was something that really, like, just grew my heart and saying, yeah, I mean, God called us to go to the nations and these are like some of the nations that we need to go to and uh, just to be able to try and share about him, mm. uh, share the gospel mm. uh, with these people who just don't have as much access to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe you could tell us something about like, because, you know, I think about kind of if you're a Christian here in the in the States, um, you know, I, I think increasingly people feel like, yeah, if you're like a conservative Bible believing Christian, then you do kind of sometimes feel like a minority. But then in reality, I mean, there's still like so many protections and kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's not really we can't say that we're a persecuted people like. In, in by any means, right in the in the in the states. So, but kind of where you were serving, it's a little bit different, right? The situation is a little different, where um, it's not it's not kosher to be a Christian there. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, what was that like? Like I don't know, kind of give us a picture of that for people who who have no idea, like what that might be like. Yeah, um, I think I think it was pretty eye opening. Um, so one thing that we did when we were there was we partnered with, uh, just some local churches and, um, oh, it, it was one network of church that we partnered with and they operated in kind of like these underground house churches. Um, we called them HCs hmm. and there was something about that, that really, it was just really moving, um, kind of seeing these. Christians who were facing a lot of persecution um, and yet choosing to remain faithful um, to God. And it's, it's like, man, these people, these precious brothers and sisters, there's, there's just a lot less benefits um, and a lot more costs mm. to choosing to remain like faithful and living out their faith. Um, as Christians, and yet they're they're holding on to that, and they're saying, "No, this is worth it. Um, this is something that I really want to hold on to." Um, and so, yeah, I mean, some stories from that. It's like there were people who um, ended up when they became Christian, they started facing a lot of persecution, mm. uh, a lot of pressure from parents and. Um, yeah, just different friends and family members and also the government as well. Um, and it, it was just really hard 
for them uh, to face the pressure. And for some of them, yeah, I mean, because of all that pressure, um, it was something that they ended up um, like eventually kind of falling away um, because it was, it was just too much pressure for them. Um, but then on the flip side, there were others that we uh, met and got to interact with who they would actually somehow like become more convinced um, because of the pressure. Like there's this one guy who um, due to various things that happened, he actually ended up uh, needing to go to the police station um, and they questioned him for several hours um, just asking all these things uh, about what he was doing and his life um, and we were I, I remember all of us we were kind of scared for him at that time um, and we were just praying for him and then we didn't know what was going on because you know we kind of cut off communication just for protection um, and then after a couple days we were able to meet up with him and he was actually he came away with that he came away from that with even greater conviction and saying hey you know i want to be trained up to be able to serve more mm. um and it's something like that that made me feel like wow these people they they go through so much more um and in some ways that that's an opportunity to really I guess it's a little bit like what I was saying earlier. It's an opportunity as you go through hardship to kind of purify your motives or um, kind of strengthen your convictions. But I think it was like on a whole nother scale mm. um, for these people that we were meeting. You know, when you were talking, it just made me, I don't know, like I, I feel like in some ways it makes me think in the States here where we have so much freedom to practice kind of our beliefs, like that's an entrustment, you know, it's like, you know, we, we kind of take that comfort or that <clears throat> kind of safety for granted, mm -hmm. but, um, maybe that, like, you know, are we going to wait until, you know, things get bad here and we're not allowed to speak freely about our beliefs until, are we, you know, should we wait until then to start sharing or, you know, what, while we have the freedom, like maybe we should be as bold as we can. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and just be open and, yeah, I feel really challenged by brothers and sisters throughout the world, you know, in, in, in the country that you serve that. But you know, I know that there's countries that are even worse than that, mm -hmm. right? And um, and when I think of them, it makes me think about Matthew 5, you know, where uh, Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And like I, I read a verse like that and to be honest, it doesn't resonate with my experience, but man, like when a, a brother or sister who's experiencing that on a daily basis out there reads that verse, you know, that that's comfort to them, right? That, mm -hmm. that, that means something to them. Right. And so, yeah. I'm, so for me personally, whenever I hear about this, I, I feel like, man, I just need to commit once again to like steward the entrustment that I have here like to not make use of my comfort or the, kind of the safety that I have, but to really use that to further God's kingdom in whatever way we can. Um, and I think that would really strengthen the kingdom of God. So yeah. 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 Thanks for sharing that, man. Um, 
maybe you could tell us about um, if there's anyone while you were there who, like, you know, the, the, the team led across a kind of line of faith, someone who became Christian. Um, and kind of what was what was that like kind of as you were out there experiencing that? Mm. Yeah. Um, there, there's several people that I kind of think about, but there is one guy that really, I don't know, like his story just hits me. Um, so there's this guy, he's a sophomore. Um, when we met him, he was a sophomore and it wasn't like me who met him, but someone else um, on the team who met him. And um, it, I mean, through through several circumstances, he was initially hesitant at first, but uh, different things that happened in his life led him to be more open and he ended up um, becoming a Christian and surrendering his life to Christ um, Christmas day uh, mm -hmm. through a, they were doing like a hospital outreach actually. And he was really moved by that. and ended up wanting to surrender his own life um, to Christ. And ever since then, he's, he, he was just on fire. Um, like he wanted to grow a lot more. He wanted to learn more Bible. He, and this was someone who was just completely new before. And he just wanted to um, just take him more and live out his life mm. uh, as a Christian. And something that really um, just... I don't know, like the um, the picture that really symbolizes or captures this, I guess, um, is actually during the summer. Uh, so what we did then was we had summer teamers come from the States to help us. And a lot of these summer teamers are just college students, actually, who volunteered and um, they decided to live like a month to a month and a half um, overseas and kind of do some mission work and do some outreach. And mm. so one thing that we would do with these summers teamers would, was um, we'd take them backpacking. And so it's not like backpacking in the way that you might think of it here where you, <laughs> you know, you just have a backpack and you go into like Yosemite or anything like that. But um, what you do is you kind of go into the more remote villages um, and try to meet people there and share the gospel there. Um, and so one, uh, what happened was um, because, you know, the Americans, they don't really speak the language. So we need people to help translate. And so different locals would volunteer to help translate and also lead the team to mm. kind of take them to places. Otherwise, you know, these summer would totally get lost. <laughs> um, and so he volunteered to help as a translator. But this was his first time ever doing anything. Like he just became a Christian um, half a year ago. And... Um, so he was paired up with someone else who was a little more experienced, uh, who has led like a backpacking trip before. Um, but through various uh, circumstances, she ended up uh, getting sick and she couldn't lead it. And so he actually just decided, oh, maybe I can just lead this group. Or um, he ended up being the de facto lead and translator of like a group of like three other summer teamers. Um, and so they went out to the villages and this is actually something that we heard from the summer teamers as they were kind of recounting the story. Um, but like they would go out, they would talk to different people. He would translate for them. And there's this like woman that they met at one of the villages. Um, and she was kind of sharing how life has been challenging or uh, just difficult. And so he was translating for these summer teamers and they're like, oh, maybe 
maybe this is an opportunity to share a little bit about Jesus to her. Um, and so he goes back and he's just talking with her. And so these summer teamers are just standing there praying because, you know, they don't understand what's going mm. on. They're like, um, <laughs> I don't know what they're saying, but we'll, we'll just be praying mm. uh, for a conversation. And then the next thing that happened was he turned to them and he's like, okay, it's time for repentance. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so he apparently shared the gospel and she's like, oh, I want that. And so he led her through like the sinner's prayer and he just led her to Christ. Wow. Wow. And then, it, and then the summer just like, what just happened? <laughs> and then the, the crazy thing is that didn't just happen once. It happened six times. Wow. Just on this one backpacking trip, he led six people to Christ. And this is a guy who's, you know, six months as a new believer. Mm. I'm like, it's a pretty good ratio. You've only been six months. You already led six people to Christ. That's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's like, wow. wow. Um, but I don't know, just something about that really hit me. It's like, man, these guys, um, they're so precious. And um, even just that picture of to be able to reach uh, even more people, like because they speak the language and they kind of know the culture, they're able to have even greater influence um, or reach in that sense. And they could potentially bring even more people to Christ. And that just really felt like, man, we, we need to keep doing this. You yeah. know, we need to keep uh, just reaching more people and then they could then go on and, you know, share the gospel with even more people, their family and friends. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's crazy. And it just makes me, I don't know, maybe there's something about like, you know, cause we talked about sort of the persecution that people experience. And, and so then like, if you're going to become a follower of Jesus in that kind of context, you really have to believe it. You know, you really mm -hmm. have to know, you know what, like this, this is real. This is eternal life. Like there's no turning back. And, and so for, for someone who becomes a Christian and, and is discipled in that kind of context, it's like, yeah, I, I think maybe that's part of what, what, you know, this brother experienced. Right. And just, of course he's going to go out and just boldly proclaim that because he's kind of given up everything to, to, to follow this himself. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's really, really inspiring. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I just wanted to give you a chance to, I don't know, give some like advice or an exhortation to kind of, you know, a lot of our students listen to this podcast and um, yeah. So for whoever's listening, like what, what's kind of um, advice that you would have to an undergrad who's trying to live out their faith and uh, yeah, from your experience, what is that angle, that exhortation you want to give them? Mm. Um. I think one um, exhortation would be to just keep saying yes to God. Uh, that's something that I, I mean, it's something that my, one of my mentors, actually Wilson, um, like challenged me to mm. do. Um, and it's something that he kind of like mentioned later on when we were uh, just catching up. He said, wow, you got to experience a lot. And I think it's because you did keep saying yes mm. to God. And I think that was something that I want to commit to keep doing. It's 
it's scary at times. Mm -hmm. It's definitely scary to take steps of faith or to say yes to God. But I think as you do so, um, you won't regret it. You you won't regret it. You'll look back. And I think if anything, you would regret saying no Mm -hmm. to God. And so, yeah, I think that would be my piece of advice or exhortation. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I feel like, yeah, I resonate with that a lot. I think most of what I got to experience with God was whenever I said yes and all the regrets that I have looking back on the past, you know, decade, decade and a half of following Jesus is all the times where I was either didn't say anything back. (laughs) I just kind of tried to ignore God's call (laughs) on my life. Right. Or like, you know, I, I said yes, like, you know, like in a very delayed way. And then I kind of like, you know, it just, those are the times where, you know, I, I'm mostly filled with regret. So yeah. Thanks for, uh, Thanks for your time, Brandon. It was awesome kind of hearing your story. And uh, I think it'll be really good for our students to kind of get to know the, the other leads here in Chicagoland. So appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. So that's another episode of D-Pod. We're going to yeah be uh, interviewing more of the other leads in Chicagoland and then, yeah, getting to know more of their stories. So hope you enjoyed that. Hope you uh, were inspired and challenged. We'll see you guys next time.